I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start a Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to help you build out a weekly prioritization and execution framework to make sure you and the thing you're building reach your potential. But to start, we're going to look into the future, into a world where your startup was wildly successful, whatever that means to you. This will actually be pretty easy. We've had 400 companies go through the program since 2015, and what I think is maybe the most interesting side effect of watching that many idea stage founders build during their first three to six months is how all the successful companies kind of look the same and all the unsuccessful companies look wildly different. The successful ones are successful because of a handful of things that they do and all those things rhyme. The ones that didn't work each have their own unique stories. What I'm getting at is there's a path early on that works and a whole bunch of paths that don't. And the good path won't happen by accident and, as with most things in the startup world, is completely counterintuitive. Or, more accurately, just not how most people work to start. The path to a successful business has two drivers, strategy and tactics. Strategy is the high-level vision, tactics are the things you do that get you there. The strategy shouldn't change, the tactics should change all the time. So back to you. It's five or seven or 10 years down the road and you're on your favorite podcast talking about how you were able to be so successful. Maybe that's this one. I hope it is. The host asks the first obvious question. So tell me about the early days. How'd you come up with this idea? How did everything start? You jump into a well-worn story. Well, the idea first came to me while I was working at Deloitte. I realized that I worked with clients on the same things over and over and that 95% of the value could be delivered in 5% of the time. So I took all the money I'd saved, took six months off, and tried to build something to give smaller companies that couldn't afford Deloitte the 95% for way cheaper. Unfortunately, that first idea never stuck. I thought small businesses would be pumped with this potential, but they didn't care. Eventually, maybe too slowly, you add in a chuckle out of habit more than anything. I spent more time with customers and learned that, sure, this was a problem, but there was something else way more pressing. And the more I spoke with customers about this new problem, the more excited I got. You know why? I'd solved for this at the company I was at before Deloitte, but we never knew how impactful it was or how much our customers thought about it or how the real solution combined everything else I'd learned. So I started consulting for a few companies, solving the problem manually on a small scale and building out process. It worked. I learned more about how to solve it and how to find new customers and realized there was a huge business there. That's when I found a co-founder who filled in the gaps. We raised money, we got momentum, and off we went. When you do tell your story on podcasts, you'll likely leave out the inevitable three to four other false starts that were between the first idea and the one that eventually worked. As our old friend Tom Eisenman, still one of my favorite pods we've done, I'll pop it in the show notes, says, startups are a race to five pivots. Very few companies build anything interesting. Back to the successful businesses we've worked with. None of them are being successful with their first idea, or their second, or even their third. Our most successful business, cruising themselves towards a nine-digit valuation, is building a product that barely rhymes with their first idea. Startups are confounding, and this specific reason, maybe more than any other, is why I do what I do, and why I love what I do, and why I think you should start a business the right way no matter what. 
because the first idea, the thing you want to build, is certainly going to be wrong. It's probably not even close. But the only way to get to the thing that's right is to start the thing that's wrong. So many people wait for the perfect idea, which, again, is silly because you cannot recognize what will work until you're knee-deep in it. You need context and perspective, and that's just not possible before you're in the mix. You might think you're the exception, but I promise you, you're not. The skill entrepreneurs need is not picking an idea. It's adapting, learning, changing, wiggling into the cracks of a problem like water wiggling in between a stone. And that's what we'll talk about today. How to set up your life so that you're operating like a startup founder who will succeed. Who can start with something, learn fast, adjust, and get to the fifth idea that'll let you build something people love. Successful businesses are a side effect of working in a very specific way for an extended period of time. And it all starts with a system, with prioritization, with strategy, with tactics, and weirdly, with the good people of Finland. We'll get you to that system after a little smooth jazz. Quick ad today and something for you. The ad is for Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, apply at gettacklebox.com. We'll get back to you in under 72 hours. Use the code BUILDRIGHT to get 50% off your first month if accepted. We've helped over 400 people build businesses collectively worth over a billion dollars, and I'll guarantee you most of them started with less than you've got right now. Come join us if you're working on something. And now, something that might be helpful for you. I'm going to open up my schedule for Friday, June 24th for rapid-fire meetings. Head to gettacklebox.com, scroll down a bit to where the apply button is, and right below it, I'm going to add in a chat with us button. I have no idea how fast these slots are going to fill up, but I assume fairly fast. I open the whole day, excited to have rapid fire one-on-ones with listeners and see if I can be helpful to whatever you're working on. Okay, back to it. Finland has the most medals per capita of any country in Olympic history. They get a little over two medals for every million people. For comparison, the US gets about one medal for every million people. The Finns get twice as many. Also, if you're American and you're listening and have an Olympic medal, you're one in a million. Congrats. And if you don't think I did the math to see the likelihood of someone listening to this pod also having an Olympic medal, you just don't know me. If you have one, please email. I need to know if I'm right. Anyway, back to the question. How do the Finns get so many freaking medals? You might say, hey, Brian, it's skewed. Finland has mountains and they're generally wealthy, and so they probably win all the skiing medals. To which I'd say, they actually win far more summer medals than winter medals. They do win in skiing, but they also win in sailing and archery and wrestling and rowing and weightlifting and hockey and just about any other sport you can think of. And they win a lot. The reason I bring it up is because I've recently read a bunch of stuff about Finland because they take a different approach to most countries in just about everything. For example, every kid in Finland plays every sport and they play a lot. School is broken up every hour by a mandatory 15 minutes of outdoor play. Also, kids don't specialize in sports even when they get older. Their best skiers, the ones that win Olympic medals, also play soccer and wrestle and cycle and swim. And here's the thing that really makes me physically flinch. When kids are little in Finland, they don't keep score. Sports exist to have fun and to learn all sorts of other skills. Winning isn't top of that list, so they don't worry about it. I'm not kidding when I say this pains me because I'm ridiculously competitive. I'm writing this from a coffee shop on 88th Street and on the way from my apartment a block away, I raced three people who had no idea we were racing. I even gave a little fist pump when I won. I love to win. I love to compete. 
and I don't like those things being challenged, but Finland has done it because they don't focus on winning, and yet they win more. Schools in Finland hurt my brain too. I mentioned the 15 minutes off every hour, but I didn't mention that until the age of seven, there is no school. Kids just get together and play. There are no classes, no math, no English. And when kids do start school, they don't get homework. And yet, Finland is consistently ranked as the best school systems in the world. What the hell is going on? Exactly what you need to do with your startup. You need to recognize the outcomes that you want, the outcomes that will be successful for you, and build a system to match. Finland does this. Nearly every other country doesn't. Finland wants their kids to be well-rounded, high-functioning members of society. And to do that, they prioritize learning how to work with other kids, how to interact and solve real problems, how to communicate. Because what's more important than that? To develop those skills, it's far more effective to have kids play with one another, to use their imaginations to figure stuff out, than to sit in their room repeating math problems. An article I read from someone schooled in Finland talked about how a common school activity might be sending a group of eight-year-olds into the forest alone with a map and then letting them work out how to figure out how they can get back. Kids who specialize in something, say skiing, from the time they're nine, won't be well-adjusted adults, so they don't do that. And it turns out breadth of skills wins over specificity in the long run. Just check out all the medals they've won in highly specified sports from athletes who didn't focus solely on that sport. I'm not saying you should move to Finland or to tell your five-year-old not to do their homework or stop keeping score in Little League. I obviously don't know everything there is to know about Finland. What I am saying is that designing your surroundings to get an outcome you want is something we all overlook constantly. And if you want to build something that matters, you shouldn't. Frankly, you can't. Exceptional results come from people with exceptional approaches. And the good news is the bar for an exceptional approach in the working on a startup case is actually fairly low because most people's approaches aren't thoughtful. They track things that are easy to track and end up wherever that takes them. Score in a soccer game is easy to track. Communication is not. Doesn't mean score is more important than communication for the outcome you want. This is all strategy and tactics. Finland's strategy is to create well-rounded people who can contribute to society. Their tactics are constantly tweaked and tested to do just that. And as a side effect, they win a ton of medals and raise smart, successful kids. Because the types of people who win are the types of people they raise. Now, let's build your system. The biggest challenge for the startups I've worked with is prioritization. Making time and holding that time for the things that'll actually set them apart. Those things are going to shift as you grow, but the list of things that could be that important is actually pretty short. It's interacting with customers, it's selling to customers, it's building internal systems to amplify everything you do, and it's spending time thinking. The successful startups I've seen have tied each of those to a metric they track. Interacting with customers might be as simple as saying you need to have 10 conversations a week. Selling is likely tied to leads or revenue. Internal systems is linked to the time spent on durable tasks, things that can be repeated, versus fleeting tasks, things that'll be useful once. Thinking is tied to time and diverse inputs. What you put in is what you'll spit out. As far as the saboteurs of that important work, it's not going to be the obvious distractions. We all know social media and games and whatever else isn't helping push you forward. It's the stuff disguised as work. Emails, posting for social media with the idea that you're building a brand, conferences, pitching investors when you're too early to be doing that. The things that seem like you're making progress but aren't, those are the things that are dangerous. 
So we took a cue from our friends over in Finland and built the system to support the outcomes we really want, which is a founder that is thoughtful and intentional about what they do, that prioritizes and sticks to tasks that have disproportionate returns and create differentiators, and are incentivized by executing the process, not by arbitrary numbers. The system is built for the long haul. It's built to get you through five pivots to a business that lets you buy an island someday, or just work for yourself, whatever it is you want. The side effect of executing on this system is a successful startup. The system itself has three components, and we'll talk high level about setting each up. First, shifting everything to the calendar and living by it. Second, creating weekly progress reports and consistent audits to stay on track. And third, designing your environment to be default productive to save your willpower. The strategy is to build a sustainable workflow that maximizes every second of time we work and spits out successful startups. The core tactics are the three listed above. Now let's make like everyone's favorite Finnish Olympic medal winning diver, your Joe Valcama, and jump in. I got caught in a rabbit hole of Finnish Olympians, and I'll tell you what, all that schooling does not help them figure out how to mix in a vowel every once in a while. Y-R-J-O is just a preposterous first name. We'll start with the calendar. And the key to the calendar has nothing to do with the calendar and everything to do with your to-do list. I think you should get rid of your to-do list right now. The to-do list is terrible. I lived most of my life by it, and now that I don't, I can't believe I ever did. To-do lists do a bunch of terrible things when you live by them. First, they bloat. There's no limit to how many things you put on a to-do list, so you end up with hundreds of tasks. It ends up as a catch-all, a place to dump ideas. You should have one of those, but it shouldn't be the place you work from. Because then you get into the habit of having 20 things to do each day, finishing four and feeling like you didn't have a productive day. Or you feel like it's okay to just not finish your list, and then you're lawless like those damn Swedes. Note, I know nothing about Switzerland. I'm kind of joking, but mostly not. A brand is when someone makes a promise and keeps it repeatedly, and your personal brand, the one you see when you look in the mirror, will absolutely be tarnished if the promise you keep every day is that your to-do list doesn't get done. Startups are a funny place. There's no one there to pat you on the back and say you've done a good job, ever. Your feedback loop will be that you didn't finish what you said you would every day. If you don't think that's going to weigh on you, you're an idiot, no offense. The second terrible thing about a to-do list is the feedback mechanism. Checking something off is way too satisfying, especially if it dings and then disappears. So we try to get to that feeling, which means do things fast, which means do things that aren't important. The important things take time. They take four-hour blocks. It's hard to break them down and usually a waste of time to do so. But we try to so that we can feel that jolt of a checkbox and it's all wrong. We definitely know that mapping out a quarterly marketing plan and responding to an email aren't comparable, but our dopamine system doesn't, and it wants that checked box. Not having a to-do list, however, feels uncomfortable. And since every human action is driven by one desire to not be uncomfortable, we use them. Until today. When I switched from to-do list to the calendar, my hours went down, the important stuff I got done doubled or tripled, and my sense of completion at the end of every day existed. Here's what I and a bunch of the startups we work with do now. I certainly keep a list of things I should do, either now or in the future, but I do not work off of it. I work off my calendar. On Sunday, I sit down and map out the upcoming week's schedule. I look through the to-do list and think hard on a few questions. What's most important for my business right now? What's most important for my business long-term? 
How would an incredible entrepreneur set up their week? What are the things other people don't make time for that I know great businesses make time for? Then I lay everything out. There are always a few meetings that I can't get around, though I try to batch those as best I can. First, I think about the times that I'm most productive and I match my highest value items to those times. I'm most creative by far in the mornings, so 8 to 12 every day is sacred. It's for my most important creative work. The differentiated stuff. The podcast, thinking through it, writing it, growing it, and the Tacklebox membership. The new content, the responses to existing members, and strategically thinking about those members' businesses. Those all get four-hour slots since switching between tasks has enormous cognitive cost. In the afternoon, I switch to stuff that doesn't need my brain to be operating at 100%. I think about creative output as a cup of coffee, and after four good hours, my cup is usually three-quarters empty. So I grab the most important tasks from my to-do list and put them on my calendar for afternoons, and I time box them. Nothing takes less than 15 minutes, and switching is hard, so I try to batch similar items. These might be more calls with members or startups I'm advising. It might be the admin and finance and legal work that comes with running a company. It might be editing podcasts or hiring or referrals or cold emails or any other task that moves my core metric. The important thing is that these are all time boxed on my calendar. So I see my day, I know what I'm scheduled to do, and my check mark, my feedback loop, is simply whether I was engaged for the amount of time I said I would be or not. If I'm trying to grow the podcast for four hours and I'm engaged for those four hours, I get a big old check mark, even if what I wrote was dribble. Because the important part is showing up and working on the right stuff. The results are a side effect. The results come with consistency. I try to work from eight to six every day, and while some days spill later, it's never unanticipated spill. It's scheduled. There's more that has to get done, and it has its time. This means that tasks that don't make it to the calendar aren't all that important. Time boxing everything makes my days have a beginning and an end, and it forces me to really think, is something worth a slot of time in my life? You need to value your time extremely highly, and a calendar view, laying everything out, is a great way to do that. When I look at my week as a whole, it tends to make sense. My goal is to look at it and say, that's exactly how someone building an exceptional business over the long haul would spend their time. The final part of the calendar that's been wildly important for me is printing out the daily view each day and having it sit next to me as I work. I make scratch notes throughout the day on how each block of time goes. More specifically, I note when I get off track. Not in a way that's cruel, I don't shame myself or beat myself up for checking ESPN, more in a curious way, trying to understand why it is that I'm getting distracted. Distraction usually comes from uncertainty. So what was it about the thing I was just doing that I wasn't so sure about? How can I clear it up? Sometimes I'm just running away from thinking about something deeply and I need to refocus. Sometimes I'm just burnt. I'll also write when I get on a roll or when something specific happens that pushes me forward. You probably hear a lot about working on your business and not just in your business. This is the start of that. These notes are also critical for the next pillar, which is weekly progress reports and audits. You need these no matter where you are in your entrepreneurial journey, and probably wherever you are in your life. And if you're a solo founder, particularly one working on your business on the side, you really need these progress reports. I schedule these for Friday afternoons, and it's time that cannot be pushed. Figuring out what you've done and figuring out how to do it better next week is the most important thing that you can be doing. This is a long game, and continuous progress and improvement is the name of it. Thinking about what you want to work on is something most people skip, and it sets them back. 
it can be a differentiator for you. There are two components to the weekly audit. The first is that stack of calendars you've got. Look through them and see how you did. Where'd you get off track? What needed to get pushed? What snuck its way onto your calendar that maybe didn't deserve your time? I look at the week as a whole and ask myself three questions. What should I have done more of? What should I get rid of? And what did I enjoy the most? Take these into account when you draft up your next week of work. Next is my weekly progress document. This also has two parts. First, the thing that is most important for me to be working on and focusing on now. This is usually a metric. It might be growing revenue or pod subscriptions or talking to current members or getting new ones. The second part is looking at the week and deciding if the tasks that I did impacted that headline objective. If, for example, I'd said that sales was the most important thing for me to be focusing on and I only spent two out of the 50 hours in the week on it, that doesn't really seem like I'm treating it that way. Where this gets tricky is when things you're doing might be a degree or two away from that goal. So writing a podcast might help with getting more customers eventually, but it didn't do it this week. Our goal is to start to connect those two to understand the actual impact of the things we do on the outcomes we want. What I love about this is how it moves you away from the numbers that you can obsess over in a vacuum and moves you towards actionable stuff. I have four other questions I ask each week and revisit the previous couple of weeks' answers during each review. First, what was my focus? Second, what is my current biggest obstacle to growth? Third, what are my biggest learnings? And fourth, how am I feeling? These are quick and ground me and make sure things are continuing to move forward. They focus me on the right numbers and the right questions. On any given week, the podcast might have way more or way fewer downloads than average. It's really easy for me to continue to look at that number and get excited or upset about it. But the real thing to look at is the actions that impacted that number. If I didn't do anything this week that would drive downloads higher, and nothing in the past three weeks either that would do it, I can't really get upset when downloads aren't high. I can just schedule more things that will impact downloads for the next week. Nearly everything in the startup world is a lagging indicator, and nothing in the startup world happens without you forcing it to happen. So the answer is always focused work over time. Seth Godin talks a lot about the famous Dolly Parton quote, be who you are and do it on purpose. He says that the key is to actually flip that quote around. Do the work purposefully and you'll figure out who you are. That's what this framework helps you do. The final pillar of the process is your environment. The most important thing to know here is that your environment, like your weeks, need to be built on purpose. Things will distract you. Maybe it's ESPN or email or YouTube. Remember, there are tools to neuter all of those. Don't rely on your willpower to do it. The first step is to notice. Whenever you get distracted, write it down on your printed out calendar. Don't get mad, just notice it. At the end of the day, look back. Did you check your email 20 times an hour in case a customer you need to reply to emailed? Set up notifications in Gmail so that you get pinged for new inbound messages or time-sensitive messages from customers and no one else. Checking LinkedIn a lot? Use a tool like Blocksite or Freedom or whatever else to monitor and disable your usage. Check Instagram too often? Delete your password, give it to a friend, and force them to give it back to you for you to check. You'll feel like a jackass doing that. Look at your phone throughout the day? Ask someone in your office or a co-working space to hold it for you every morning until lunch and then again until 6. Or, if you live in an apartment and work from home, lock your phone in your mailbox downstairs. The big message here is do not waste your willpower on stuff you can design away. 
you can make the default no distractions. Make it hard to do. Make yourself feel ugly doing it. Make it the opposite of natural. Your habit will break fast. About a month and a half ago, our TV fell right off the wall. We've never put it back up. And if you can imagine, our TV watching has gone way down. The bigger thing I've gotten value from here is that log on your daily calendar. Every time your instincts are to check Instagram, don't beat yourself up over it. Be curious. Why do you want to check? Are you unsure of what you're supposed to be doing? Are your goals not clear? Have you just lost steam? Other environmental tricks are useful too. Every hour, I get a notification to breathe for two minutes. Five seconds in, five second hold, five seconds out, five second hold for two minutes. It could not be more helpful. I wouldn't do it without the notifications. There are tons of environmental tricks and tactics and I'd try them all. Test them, write them down, see if they impact you in a good way or a bad way, and then keep them or ditch them. This is where you're a mad scientist. This stuff can really work. Don't settle. Again, make sure your life is on purpose. A successful startup isn't just going to fall into your lap. That was a lot of talk for something that's fairly straightforward, so here it is broken out. Get rid of your to-do list and put everything you do in your calendar. It'll force you to focus on the right stuff, realize how long things take for you to complete, and be more purposeful with your time. Tasks that aren't important won't make it onto the calendar, and that's the way it should be. Print out that calendar each day and take notes as you go. Audit the days each week with a few key questions to make sure the tasks you're doing are the types of tasks a successful entrepreneur at your stage would do. Purposefully design and tweak your environment to get to a default state of productive work. And don't beat yourself up when this stuff doesn't work on the first try. It's a process, and that's the point. Just being thoughtful around it will give you 10x returns on your time. The way to be successful is to repeatedly do the things that lead to differentiated, unique territory. Whatever you're doing now, especially if it's random and haphazard, won't lead to that. Amateurs do things when the mood strikes them. Professionals do things when they said they would. Be a pro. Amateurs never start successful startups. And if none of that works, you can always just move to Finland. Although, actually, a quick Google search tells me that you probably can't. Seems like visas are pretty tough. But you can do the rest of the stuff. Good luck with it. Let me know how it goes. And obviously, we do all this stuff with our members at Tacklebox. We'll help you get set up. Apply at gettacklebox.com. We get back to you in 72 hours. You can be working on this stuff with us by Wednesday. Have a great week.